Hi there, and welcome to Even If, a weekly podcast about standing firm when life is shaking. I'm your host, Kelly Strife. Strife rhymes with wife. And together, we're finding the courage to approach uncertain and unwanted seasons of life through a posture of faith that stands firm and declares, even if he doesn't, he is still good. I got a message from a listener a few weeks ago, and she asked if I was ever going to share more about our miscarriage that we had last year. And I've shared a lot about losing Imogen, but only briefly mentioned the miscarriage we had a few months later. And when she reached out, I realized that I haven't talked about that very much. Honestly, it's so inextricably connected to that whole season of loss and grief that sometimes it's hard to pinpoint which feelings are stemming from which event. A lot of things about that season run together for us. But it did reveal several lies I've had to combat in how I relate to God. And I'm probably not alone in having to battle these beliefs. Whether you've lost a child or not, these lies can take root in seasons of waiting, of loss, and of trial. To be clear, losing Imogen was 100% about losing her, this specific baby, this specific child. We were grieving this child that we knew and wanted and loved, and no child will ever replace her or fill the void that she's left, period, full stop. Our family will never be complete here on earth without her. But in addition to that grief, we've also had to grieve the roles of mom and dad. We've grieved the life we thought was unfolding. We've grieved the time we suddenly had on our hands, the way our roles shifted in our families and with our friends. We grieved the new relationships that were suddenly cut off. We grieved the time we'd lost and even the changes in my own body postpartum. There were a lot of things to grieve. And the point is that while the largest cause of our grief was that we don't get to raise Imogen here on earth, We also desperately want to be parents. And suddenly, even that most basic desire became really complicated. Because of my age, I turned 40 this year. I knew that we were on a time clock and we didn't have years to heal and recover and decide to try again. So within just a few weeks of Imogen's birth, we started considering all of our options. We could continue to try to get pregnant again on our own. We could pursue medical treatments to help that along. We could go the route of foster care. We could choose adoption. And honestly, at the time, none of those things seemed like good options. Medical treatments were pricey and invasive, and there's no guaranteed outcome with those. Foster care seemed like a recipe for disaster given the combination of trauma we'd all be carrying into it. And adoption, which had always been something we'd considered and been open to, suddenly felt painful because we were still grieving Imogen so acutely. And even though a biological child would never replace her, it still seemed like the closest we could get. And again, these were the conversations, this was the thought process we were going through in the weeks and months right after she was born. Our conversations have changed since then, and everyone is going to process this decision differently. But that's kind of where we were in the journey just a few weeks after she was born. And we longed to get pregnant again. And our prayers became a lot more specific this time as we started asking God to allow us to get pregnant, to allow us to carry a child full term and to deliver a healthy baby that we'd get to raise here on earth, specific. We didn't want to leave anything out. And as I was praying and seeking the Lord in that season, 
I felt really strongly that we were going to get pregnant again in September. That's when I'd gotten pregnant with Imogen, and honestly, I couldn't even imagine facing her first birthday without another baby. And so I know that some of my expectation came from my own desire. I think there's always a little bit of that mixed in when we're seeking the Lord, but deeper than my own desire, I felt very strongly that the Lord spoke two words to me. The first is that we would get pregnant that month, that September. And the second is a word I'm holding on to because I believe he's still going to fulfill it, even though the timing is different than I would have hoped. So throughout the month of September, I prayed and believed that we'd be pregnant. I held firmly to the word I believed God had spoken. And later that month, I got a positive pregnancy test. I made myself wait to test until I knew it would be positive if I was actually pregnant. Some of you know what that's like. And I took multiple tests just to be sure. And when it was positive, I can't even explain the emotion I felt. Mostly, I just felt relieved. I was relieved that God had heard my prayers, that God had answered my prayers, and that God had kept his word. We were thrilled that God had answered our prayer. We were thrilled that we had been entrusted with this new life. And to be honest, we were beyond scared because we knew that a positive test didn't automatically mean we were having a baby, at least not in the way you would expect it to. So I surprised Peter when he got home that week with the news. We shared the news with a few close friends and a few family members, and I booked an appointment several days later. And the blood work taken at my first appointment was normal, but when I returned for a follow-up visit, my levels weren't increasing the way they would have expected. And I miscarried just a few days after that. And having experienced pregnancy loss at the latest possible moment and at one of the earliest moments, I can confidently tell you that loss is loss. No matter how long your pregnancy lasts, you have a lifetime of dreams for the baby you're carrying. And all of that is stolen no matter how soon the loss occurs. There are unique nuances to loss and grief depending on when and how it happens, but one loss is not worse than another. Losing Imogen was certainly more complicated than losing our second child, but We also had the joy of knowing her for nine whole months. There's just no comparing the two. Your loss is real and your pain is valid whenever it happens. October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss and Awareness Month. And for those of you that have experienced loss, I hope you know your child lived. Your baby is loved. Your pain matters and your grief is real. And if you haven't experienced this personally, you know someone who has, whether you know it or not. And one of the greatest gifts you can give someone is to acknowledge their child and to allow them their pain. So as we grieved the loss of this second baby, I had to process my own feelings toward God. We'd already lost Imogen, and then I had so clearly heard him say that we'd get pregnant again that month. And we did! So the question wasn't whether or not I'd heard him correctly. He delivered on exactly what he said. The question that was rolling through my mind was why he kept dangling this carrot in front of me and then snatching it away, because that's what it felt like once again. Losing Imogen had already felt so cruel and so much like a bait and switch. And I've talked about that in previous episodes, but I had stood firm. I trusted him. I'd proven my loyalty to him. And now one more time, this is how he repaid me. 
Those were all the thoughts I was carrying as we grieved this fresh loss. And these thoughts were real and valid and honest, but they also revealed this big flaw in the way I view God, in the way I view my life, and in the way I view eternity. So I want to share three ways I approach these thoughts and feelings when they come, the ways I acknowledge my own pain, honor the Lord, and seek healing that only the truth can bring. First, I acknowledged the circumstance. I had experienced tremendous loss. I'd been given these incredible gifts just to watch them disappear. It wasn't fair. I'd gotten pregnant twice with babies that were wanted and loved and prayed for, and twice, in very different circumstances, I had to say goodbye to them here on earth. The circumstance sucked. It was awful and painful and traumatic and disorienting and all the negative words you can pull out of the thesaurus. It was every bit as bad as you can imagine. And I get to acknowledge that. I need to acknowledge that. Maybe you do too. Whatever the pain of your circumstance, whatever suffering you're currently facing, you get to acknowledge that you didn't choose it, that you don't want it, that you hate that you're living through it. Sometimes really well-intentioned people want to help us jump ahead a few steps. Maybe you've been that well-intentioned person for yourself or for others. I've been that person too. Yes, there's a bigger reality than what we're seeing right now. God does transform even our deepest pain into a beautiful offering, a gift, a story. But that's not the chapter you're currently in. And if we skip too quickly to the lesson, we'll miss out on everything God wants to offer us here. God meets us in our pain, not only in our healing. And he offers us a comfort in his presence that can't come through platitudes or happy endings or silver linings down the road. We often equate the strength of our faith to how quickly we make it through our pain. And there's no medal for finishing first. There's no trophy for crossing the finish line. Skipping over the reality of your current circumstance doesn't help you heal any faster nor does it mean you trust God more. Sometimes we just need to acknowledge that this sucks. I don't want it, and I would choose any other way. Second, I name my feelings. This one might seem easy, but it's not quite as simple as it looks. There's a meme that makes its way around social media, maybe you've seen it, that says, I sat with my anger long enough until she told me her real name was grief. Grief might be the source of a lot of different feelings, but it's important to name them all. Years ago, I saw a counselor who gave me a copy of the Feelings Wheel. Every week when I sat down on her couch, she'd pull out a copy of this chart and ask me to identify how I was feeling. And at the center of the wheel are the feelings that we often identify, the ones that are easiest to spot, anger, sadness, joy, surprise, There are a few different versions with slight variations on these, but you get the idea. But the feelings that we often identify most easily are actually secondary emotions. They're oftentimes how a primary feeling is being expressed. So every session, she'd have me move further and further out on this wheel until I could accurately express how I was feeling. And once we identified the true emotion, we could get to the actual source. Well, in the wake of losing two babies, I felt a lot of different feelings, but the ones that kept coming up again and again were loneliness, disappointment, and betrayal. 
I knew that I felt overwhelmingly, achingly sad, but as I gave myself permission to feel and as I traced the source, I realized how disappointed I was. I was disappointed by this season of life. I was disappointed in how God had or hadn't intervened. I was disappointed by the decisions we had to make. And I realized how lonely I was. Lonely because my arms ached to hold my babies, but also lonely because friendships had changed, some temporarily, some permanently. I realized how lonely I felt because no one truly understood what I was feeling, what I was going through. And I could name the fact that I felt betrayed by God. I felt like he'd let me down. I felt like he'd abandoned me. And if this sounds messy, it is. It's not as simple as spinning a wheel and choosing the word that best describes your emotions that day. For me, it meant sitting with Jesus and pulling on this string that might cause everything to unravel. But it's actually one of the greatest acts of trust I can imagine. It's such an act of faith. It communicates to God that you trust that he can handle your honesty. Not only your honesty with him, but your honesty with yourself. It communicates your desire for intimacy, that you're more committed to actual intimacy with him than you are with keeping up a show. I have a mentor that always said, if how it looks is what matters, then how it really is never gets dealt with. And getting to the bottom of these feelings shows that you care more about the condition of your heart than you do the image you're presenting. It communicates that you believe he'll fight with you and for you, never against you. And ultimately, it shows that you believe he'll still love you no matter how ugly this gets. Name your feelings. Sit with a feelings wheel. You can print one off online or a journal and a pen and pull at the thread. If honesty causes it to unravel, then it wasn't very secure to start with. And then third, I remind myself of what's true. When I followed the thread of my feelings, sometimes the source of my pain was simply the circumstance I was living. But other times the source was rooted in a lie about who God is and what he's done. And when my feelings are rooted in a lie, I have to claim truth over them. Yes, I felt lonely without these babies to hold in my arms. That feeling makes perfect sense. Of course, I'd feel lonely without my babies here. I felt disappointed about how this chapter of my life had unfolded. Again, that's an honest feeling rooted in expectations that had gone unmet. And I felt betrayed. And that feeling was also real and honest and valid. But I know that God is for me and not against me. So while the feeling might be real, it threatened to convince me to believe a lie about God's character toward me. God wasn't dangling a carrot, and he wasn't taking any pleasure from my pain. God hadn't forgotten me, even though it felt like he'd stepped away from the wheel. And naming that feeling helped me identify a lie I was believing so that I could refute it with truth. When truth seems murky, I find it in three ways. First, I look to what scripture says. What does God's word tell me about who he is, what he's done, and what he promises to do? Second, I have a few close friends who remind me. And not in a pushy, everything's rosy, pull up your bootstraps kind of way, but in a kind, gentle, sense when the timing is right kind of way. This position isn't open to just anyone. Not just anyone gets to decide when and if I'm ready to receive the truth. This is a small group of friends who know me intimately, 
love me deeply, and always speak out of a desire for healing and wholeness over my life. They know when to sit there and keep their mouths shut. But they will faithfully and consistently pray for me, claim truth on my behalf, and speak hope into my story when I can't find it for myself. And finally, I remind myself of what God has done. I comb through old journals. I look back through pictures and text messages. I reflect on previous seasons of life. I spend time intentionally remembering God's faithfulness in the past. Because just like my current experience can make me question God's goodness, I have so many experiences that confirm it. So I remind myself of those. My experience can be real and my feelings can be valid. And I still have to ask the question, what do they cause me to believe about Jesus? And any answer that doesn't leave me certain that he's for me and he's working on my behalf probably isn't true. So I remind myself of what is. But guys, this is the third step in my process for a reason. If we jump to this place before we acknowledge the circumstance we're living and before we name how we feel, we force ourselves into this toxic positivity mindset and we miss out on the comfort that can only be found in our pain. Jesus enters into our suffering with us. Jesus acknowledges our reality with us. He demonstrated when he prayed in the garden that he knows what it's like to walk through circumstances that we don't want. He understands the depths of our feelings and the magnitude of our grief. And it's in our suffering that we find new levels of connection with him, that we understand new facets of his character in our lives. So this process doesn't all happen in the same moment. It doesn't all happen in the same hour. But it's the way we actively partner with God to acknowledge our pain, name our grief, and remind ourselves of what is still true even here. When we lost our second baby, I found myself in another excruciating heartbreak. And from that place, I acknowledged how betrayed I felt. When I pulled at that thread, I found how much I wanted and expected God to reward me for my faithfulness in my last season of deep pain. But just like I hadn't caused Imogen's death by some great failure on my part, I also couldn't earn another baby by getting everything right. And when I recognized that mindset, I was able to release a lot of the anger I felt toward God and toward myself. So whatever season of loss you find yourself in, make space for your circumstance to be hard, maybe even excruciatingly hard, for your feelings to exist wholly and completely, even when they're messy, and pull on that thread until you get to the root of the beliefs that you carry. And when you recognize the lies, allow Jesus to remind you of his truth one moment at a time. It means so much to me that you would listen to the Even If podcast. And my hope is that this episode provides you enough strength to continue standing firm when life is shaking. If this has inspired you in any way, you can always leave a rating or review. It's one way you can let me know you're listening or feel free to share this with a friend, share it on social media. It's another way I get to know if my words are landing. I'll see you back here next week for a new episode of Even If.